If you would turn to Romans 8, please. So the Lord's really put it on my heart that I think for this year or whatever you want to, however you want to look at that, at least for right now, I think prayer is going to be a big deal coming into this year and beyond. I think it's just our prayer lives just really need to tighten up. And that's what I'm going to speak about, I think, for the next few weeks. I don't know how long. And I'm going to use what we've been looking at here in Romans 8 as a springboard, I guess you could say. And let's start reading in verses 15, Romans 8, 15. It says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, in this new year, and I just ask, Father, you'll open all of our hearts, and you'll speak to us, Lord, not only today, but in the weeks to come, of the importance of prayer and communion with you and to know you. And I thank you that you'll do that for us and that you're here with us today in Jesus' name. So several weeks ago, it's been a couple weeks because we got off track and preached that message on Samuel about David, but we talked about the fact that all believers, all true believers, all Christians, this is without exception. It's not just for certain ones are adopted into the family of God. We've all been adopted into the family of God, and we have a new father God Almighty, the eternal God. So unlike our previous father, which all of us had, the devil, who tried to deceive us, he hated us, he tried to abort us, kill us, if you want to put it that way, this father, the new father we have with our new family, he cares for us, we talked about, he walks with us, he wants what's best for us, even though it doesn't always seem that way, and he loves us. So I'm bringing up things we've talked about again, but here's what happens. If you just say something one time, it gets lost in the wash, so to speak. So I'm going to say a few things. I'm not going to repeat myself ad nauseum, but I want us to remember that adopted is not an adjective. It is a past tense verb. That is how we came into God's family. But now we need to remember he looks at me and you as Christians as sons, not as adopted sons, not as he's putting up with his sons, not as you're just forgiven and I'm going to, you know, whatever. No, we're his sons in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves us if we can receive this. And it's hard, it's hard for us to get a hold of this. But he loves us as he loved the Lord Jesus Christ because of our union with him. There is no difference in his love for us and his love for the son. He loves us the same way. Sinclair Ferguson, who's a preacher, he's an older man over in Scotland, I believe, but he wrote about a friend of his. He had adopted a little girl while he was in a foreign land, and it said that days passed from the time he had adopted her and brought her into her house, and he realized, you know, this father-daughter bonding just had never taken place. She never really felt like he was her father yet, and then he said, one day, this little girl, eight years old, she shows up at his desk. She's got a pair of shoes. And she says, Daddy, I need another shoelace. And that's when it all broke. So in her timidity, she came, but she had that boldness. And she called him Daddy. And that relationship changed from there on out. And that is what needs to happen to us. We need to understand that we are truly sons of God. And that he is our father and we can approach him that way. And that we can have confidence to speak to him We're not straining his ear. We can have confidence to speak to him about our needs and to ask him for help, just like you would your earthly father. 
So for us as Christians, when we get this truth in our heart, everything should have changed in our lives, an entirely new outlook on life. And so what I want to talk about today is that should be most noticeable in our prayer life. So as a non-Christian, I prayed to God, but only when I was in really bad trouble or I wanted something really bad. And I knew in my heart, I knew he wasn't really helping me. I was just somehow hoping something would work out. But I knew I didn't have communion with the Father. That's the way it is with the world. But as Christians, what does the Bible say? It says the Holy Spirit in Romans 5 has been poured out into our hearts. And we receive him as the spirit of adoption. And the spirit of adoption that is in us should prompt us to cry out in prayer, Abba, Father. That is a good sign you're a Christian. I remember Paris Reed talking about this young lady that she said, Christianity's not for me. She said, I just, this just isn't for me. I'm having struggles with it. And she wanted to walk away from it and all that. And she got in a tight spot a few days later and she told him, she said, the first thing that came out of my mouth was though, Father, I need your help. He says, that's a good sign. You're struggling with your salvation that God cares about. That's a good sign you're a Christian. That that's in your heart to cry out, Abba, Father. So that's what we have here in verse 15. He says, we don't have the spirit of bondage to fear, but we have received, it says there, the spirit of adoption. And by the prompting of that spirit, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And those, we said, are the same words that our Lord Jesus Christ cried out to his father when he's agonizing in the garden. And so now we're praying with the same authority and position as the Son of God did. And Jesus authorized us to pray to God as Father, to address. That's revolutionary. No Jew would have done that. No Jew would have addressed God as Father. And it started with Jesus, and he authorized us to do that. So he says in Matthew 6, In this manner, therefore, pray ye, and it begins our Father. And that's the manner we are to pray. Go to God as our Father. So it's nothing in us. It's all because we're united to the Lord Jesus Christ that we can address God as our Heavenly Father, but we can have the same confidence and the same affection as He did. And God will hear our prayers just like He heard the prayers of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we believe that? Now let me put a little caveat on there. As long as we're not living in sin. Now he was sinless. But as long as we're not living in sin, we can have confidence that he hears our prayers just like he heard his prayers. 1 John 3 says, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. But beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence towards God and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So that doesn't mean we're living perfect lives, right? But that we don't have unconfessed and unrepented of sin in our lives. So we miss it, and everyone's going to miss it. People in here, probably all of us will miss it in some respects today. You confess that to the Lord, and then you humbly and determine that I'm done with that sin. That's what it means to repent. And things are okay. And if that's the case, we can have confidence. That's what we just read, that God will hear our prayers just like the Lord Jesus Christ. We can say what Jesus said at the tomb of Lazarus in John chapter 11. And what did he say? He says, Father, 
I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But do we have that kind of confidence? That's challenging, isn't it? But that's what the Bible says. We could have that confidence that the Father hears our prayers because that is what faith is. So when Jesus taught his disciples about faith with the example of the fig tree that he cursed, the first thing he said was what? Have faith in yourself? He said, have faith in God. That God has heard your prayer is what he's saying. Have faith that God has heard your prayer and he will do what you've asked him to do. Have faith in God. And that is the way the Lord Jesus Christ lived himself. And we're to follow his example. And it's not an impossible example to follow. He had to trust that when he said things, he's walking as a man. That God would honor his faith and would do the things he's asking him to do. He had to trust that when he said, Lazarus, come forth, that was his faith. Right? He had to trust that it would work. And he only knew it would work by faith. Right? So I guarantee you, he had to have thoughts. Because it says he was tempted in all points like as we are. And you get in a trial, and you're believing God for something, and it's serious. You don't think Jesus can relate to what you're going through? He can. It says he's been tempted in all points like as we are. Could you imagine he's going to go speak to a grave, raise a man four days dead? How often had that been done? Like, never. And you think he didn't have thoughts coming? I mean, he didn't sin. He never gave in to them. But he had to battle those thoughts just like any man, just like we do. And so when we get in a trial, we can cry out to God. That's Hebrews 4. He can relate to what you're going through. He can help you. He gets touched with the feeling of our infirmities, our weaknesses, because he's been there. And he'll help us. He'll give us that grace we need. He was in all points, it says, tempted just like we are. No matter what your trial is, yet without sin, it says. So we can have that same confidence, and that's exactly what 1 John 5 says. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, that's, it's got to be according to his will, but if we do, it says, he hears us. That's Christians he's writing to. And if we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we desired of him. It's a great promise. It got me. Everyone likes to read Bevington. That's the number one promise Bevington hung on to every time. It'll work. Ask according to his will. We can know that he hears us. And if we know that, we don't have to wonder. We can know, it says, that we have whatever it is we've asked of the Lord. We can trust him for it, can't we? That's the basics of faith. So listen, as adopted sons of God, that we can now cry, Abba, Father, our lives should be characterized by prayer. We need to have our lives characterized by prayer. That's what characterized the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul, I mean, if there's not a man of prayer, and he's constantly exhorting churches to pray for him, to pray, he's praying for those churches. And like I've said before, when he's going all these towns, there's huge distances. I've been over to Greece, me and Lisa, huge distances between these towns and these churches. And like I said, an old man said one time, I'll remind you of this, what was he doing when he's riding that donkey, when he's walking in between those cities? You know what he's doing? He's praying. 
praying for his churches, praying for himself, praying to the Lord. He's communing with the Lord. And so we need to learn, all of us, to shut off what's called social media. It will be the death of your spiritual life if it isn't already. I'm telling you, that's the devil's tool. It's going to kill American Christians in the world. You cannot be all constantly on that social media stuff at all hours and spending time in prayer. We're going to have to make a choice coming up. So, so what everybody else is doing it. I'm telling you, you're not missing out on it on half of what you think you would be if you just shut the stuff off <laughs> for a lot of time. But that's what needs to happen. We need to see, and we will see, if we're going to persevere into the end, we have got to be devoted to prayer as a way of life, not just something that is hit or miss. And I know, I've read the books, I've seen the statistics, that generally prayer is the number one weakness of Christians. Most Christians don't pray much at all. Amen? Well, don't say amen, but it's amen. It's the truth. So I'm not saying that to get on us. It's just, we just need to be aware of this. I'm just trying to encourage us that that's what we need to do is commit ourselves to be devoted to prayer. Listen to these verses in the New Testament in Acts 1.14. It says, these were all with one mind. They were continually devoting themselves to prayer. In Acts 2.42, it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Romans 12, 12. Paul there has given all these exhortations on, he's going all the way through the book of Romans, he's saying, now this is how you put it into practice. And he gives a big long list of exhortations on, this is the practical way of living the Christian life. And in the middle of that, he says, we should be rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, and devoted to prayer. Colossians 4, 2, Paul says to them, devote yourselves to prayer keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Now, the King James translate that word that I just gave the translation devote from the NAS. We'll translate it to continue. And it means the same thing. If you're devoted to something, you'll continue in the practice of it, right? It's the same idea. But when you're devoted to something, and that's really what the word means. I mean, either way you want to take it's fine. But when you're devoted for something, it gives you more of the idea that you are committed to it. You're not going to easily give it up. It's a passion you have when you say you're devoted to something, right? So if someone tells me they are devoted to their children, you know, that tells me they are involved in all aspects of their children's lives when they're that way, right? They'll sacrifice anything to meet their needs, to encourage them, feed, clothe, educate them, whatever it is, whatever the personal cost, they'll pay it. That's what you do when you're devoted to something. And the Bible is telling us we need to be devoted to prayer. Does that mean that is all you'll do? Does that mean you got to go find a hollow log and drag it in your backyard and spend nine days in a row back there without eating, waiting for the squirrels to feed you like Bevington? <laughs> well, Jake didn't know I was going to preach on prayer this week, but earlier in the week, he sent me an article on prayer. And the main point of this article was on being devoted to prayer. And I'm like, thank you. That helped me out quite a bit there, gave me something. And the man who wrote the article asked this question, does being devoted to prayer mean that's all you will do? Well, I liked his answer. His answer was this. He says, being devoted to your wife as a husband doesn't mean that the husband will never leave her side. What it means is, though, it affects everything in his life and causes him to give himself to her in many different ways. 
So being devoted to prayer doesn't mean that all you do is pray. Because we do have to read the word. We do have to take care of our kids. We do have to talk to other people. We do have other things we have to do, right? So it doesn't mean all you do is pray in that sense, but it means that there will be a pattern of praying that looks like devotion to prayer. It won't be the same for everyone, but it will be something significant. So he's saying there's a difference in a person's life that's not devoted to prayer and someone that is. Amen. This is the next thing I want to bring up. So why should we be devoted to prayer? Why does prayer exist? What is prayer? Just in simple terms. It's speaking to God, is it not? Prayer is speaking to God. But if he knows everything, he's in control of all things, why is that even necessary? Why did God establish prayer? So I happened to get hold of a book. And this guy's got this book, and the title of the book is Why Pray? It's an excellent book. And he makes a great point in this first chapter. And his point in this first chapter is, why pray? He says, God is a speaking God. He spoke the world into existence. He speaks within his triune existence. Right? He's a God that communicates through speaking. And guess what? We are made in God's image. And how do we communicate with each other? For the most part, through speech. That's how we talk to God and with each other. And what happens when no speech is there? When no communication exists? You know what happens? What happens is what I described two weeks ago, that orphanage over in Russia, where no one is communicating or speaking to those babies and those young children. What's taking place there? No speech, no communication. There's no warmth. Of relationship, no sense of belonging, and as a result, you have this total unnatural silence. And I was reading about some of those orphanages. Those children in there are severely stunted emotionally and also physically because God has made us to be relational in relationships with people, right? We're made for relationships. That's how it is in God's image we're made. And they're maintained through communication. So when Adam and Eve were put in the Garden of Eden, don't we have, it says, God walking in the cool of the day? He would come there and talk to them. He's not a God afar off. That's all these other gods. No, we have a God that likes to commune with us and fellowship with us. And that's what would happen on a daily basis. He'd have fellowship and conversation with them. But after they sinned, what happened? It says, I heard your voice, Adam said, because God couldn't find him. He's calling out, where are you? Oh, I heard your voice, and I hid. The relationship's broken, isn't it? That communication has stopped. So look, when a husband and wife are having trouble, (laughs) what is the indication? They quit talking. You've got that cold silence. Their relationship is damaged. And to quote this author, he says this, Speech is the audible form of a real and living relationship. If there's no speaking happening, there's no relationship. Amen? Amen. The world, and we were the same way at one time, cut off from a true relationship with God. The world, and I did not know what it meant to cry out in prayer and to pray to God my Father and say, Abba, Father and ask him for my needs and know that he was going to help me out. Man, since the garden, all of humanity has been cut off from hearing God's voice. They don't know 
Humanity doesn't know what it means to stroll with God in the garden and have that fellowship with him in the cool of the day, right? And so the whole story of the Bible is what? God restoring that communication and relationship that was lost in the garden through the fall. That's what the gospel is all about. The gospel is bringing us back, we're saying, into adoption, into sonship, into a relationship, a speaking relationship, and that is what true prayer is with our Heavenly Father. That's what the hymn says, the old hymn. He speaks, and the sound of his voice is so sweet that the birds hush their singing. And the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing. And the chorus goes, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. That's what the gospel is all about. So Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross on our behalf, through his blood and resurrection, has made a way to give us access to the Father that wasn't there before. That is the beauty of the gospel, right? So now, what are we able to do? Cry, Abba, we can actually talk to God, complete with him, bring our concerns to him, speak to him, and guess what? He wouldn't do this before, whether we realized it or not. He was not listening. Our sins had cut off all that. He couldn't hear. Couldn't hear, but now he can. He'll listen and answer us. He'll speak back to us even. You believe God speaks to you? You speak to him? I do. So guess what we have? Our relationship is restored through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what prayer is all about. Why pray? That's to me a great point. God is a speaking God. He wants to have a relationship with us. And now we are enabled. It's an honor. We can speak to him and he will speak back to us. We can have that relationship restored that was lost. That's a great motivation to pray. So when you don't, you're just hurting yourself. God wants to talk to us. He does. It's a great privilege. So the Christian life we live should be one that should be devoted to persistent prayer. Devoted, persistent prayer. Because God is our Father, He loves us, He'll listen, He'll respond to our cries, and we don't need to fear that He's unconcerned or He'll reject us. So in light of that, if you would turn over to Luke 18, I'm going to look at this parable in Luke 18, beginning in verse 1. Jesus speaking, and He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge says. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth. Now this parable is kind of unique amongst parables in that in the beginning of the parable, the very first sentence, it tells us the purpose. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. 
He's saying we need to pray and Christians should not lose heart is what that word faint means and quit praying. No matter what he's going to teach us, no matter what the hindrances, the delays are, or the apparent unconcern from God. We've talked about that when Jesus is in the boat, seems like he doesn't care sometimes. What are you sleeping for? We're in trouble. We're going to die. And so sometimes we just need to keep pressing in. That's what this parable is going to teach us. Answers seem to be delayed. It's easy to get discouraged and lose enthusiasm, isn't it? It is when they're delayed. That's what happens. And that's what the word faint means and not faint. And so Jesus said there in that first verse, he said, men ought always to pray. And that ought carries the sense of obligation. In other words, it's the right thing to do. It's always the right thing to do, always to pray. It's the same word that was used in Acts 5, 29, when Peter said, we must, same word, we must obey God rather than man. We must, it's an obligation. It's something we should be doing. And he said, men ought, they must, they ought always to pray. So our Lord's going to teach us something that we have to keep pressing on in prayer no matter what the circumstances seem to indicate because our prayers are never in vain unless we quit. If we keep pressing on, they're never in vain. And so he tells this story. He goes on to tell this story about two contrasting characters, a ruthless judge who doesn't fear God and doesn't care a bit about what people think about him and a poor, defenseless widow. But his judge was probably appointed by the Roman government. He wasn't a judge to give justice. He used his position to get bribes. You bribe him enough and then he'll take care of you. Otherwise, he doesn't care a lick about you and your case and what justice is or morality or anything else. He was a corrupt judge. Jesus called him an unjust judge. And this woman, on the other hand, total contrast to that, she's totally vulnerable. She's lost her husband, and back in that society, if you lost your husband, you were up a creek because you didn't have any protection. You weren't able to provide for yourself, and society was basically stacked against you. You could be exploited. So someone who was involved in her affairs had taken what she had, apparently, through all this, taken advantage of her, and she's going to the only place that she hopes she can receive justice, the court of the land. And so if she could have bribed the judge, she probably would have been helped. But the unjust judge looked at her and he's like, honey, you've got no money and you've got no influence and I'm sorry, I can't help you. So instead of helping her, he just sends her rudely away. But look what we see here in verse three here. She is not going to quit that easily. It says there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city. And it says she came unto him. And it literally is saying she kept coming to him. So not once, but continually, every day she's back. She keeps coming. And verse 4 tells us, well, the judge put up with that for a while, and he would not for a while avenge her of her adversary. But afterward he said within himself, though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet this woman is troubling me. So you got to picture this. She is showing up again and again and she manages to somehow get a brief hearing with this guy, a brief moment. And you can just picture everybody there in the courtroom, whatever they had, they're rolling their eyes. Here she is again. She probably had one of those annoying voices, you know, pleading her case. Here she is, hoping the judge is going to give her some kind of word of encouragement. But what does she get every time? She gets a cold shoulder from this guy. He could care less. 
He's not moved by the fact that she has no money, she's got hungry kids at home, they're going to take her house. He doesn't care about any of that. You can't help me, you can't grease my hand, honey, I'll see you later. That's what she's getting every day. And she does that day after day after day. And think about from her side, every day she's probably leaving with a heavy heart, feeling rejected, right? But does that stop her? Uh-uh. She's back again. That judge, you know, he probably hears that voice of hers out there right before she gets there. He's like, oh, no, not her again. <laughs> I've never had anybody come back like this. You know, what kind of woman, what kind of creature is this woman that she keeps coming? And I mean, this goes on for days, maybe weeks. I don't know. It doesn't say. And finally, his judge begins talking to himself. That's what it says, what we read. He says, you know, I'm a pretty hard guy. I don't fear God. And no man, I don't regard any man, but this woman is troubling me, he said. She's troubling me. I've seen her face one too many times, is probably what he's saying. So he goes, I'll give you whatever you want. He might have even thrown in a little bit of his own money just to get rid of her, right? Because he says, hey, if she keeps this up, she is going to truly, as they say in Kentucky, wear me out. That's what it says. Well, the word for weary me that we have there in the end of verse 5, lest her continual coming she weary me. That's a word that means to give a black eye. That's literally what it means. It's the same word that Paul used when he said he buffeted. That's the same word buffeted. Buffeted his body. So it means to give somebody a black eye, literally. And he's probably like, man, she has been wearing me out, and I'm afraid she's going to give me the final blow. Give me a black eye and knock me out. Is <laughs> more or less what he's saying. So the point of the parable is what? It's this. Persistence pays off. Doesn't it? It does pay off. And that's why Jesus said we should always pray and not be discouraged. So people in here, I know there's some people that are waiting for the manifestation of something. They've been praying about something a long time and you tend to get discouraged. But prayer is our God-given help. That's what we're being taught here. Men ought always to pray, never give up. Isaiah 40 says this, he gives power to the faint, to those that are weary. And how does he do that? And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord, and that means you sometimes have to be persistent and waiting. And going before the Lord day after day, week after week, sometimes month after month, maybe year after year. I don't know. Whatever it takes. But Jesus says we should never quit. We should keep on praying if it's something that God has promised us. But he says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They that wait upon the Lord. So in this parable, we're like that woman, aren't we? Sometimes weak, oppressed. It seems like we're friendless. Nobody can help us out here. None of our friends can. Friendless and without influence. We feel that way many times. And God seems to be indifferent to our needs. But it's only he seems to be because here's where the comparison stops. God is nothing like this judge. Nothing like the judge. So the judge didn't care for that woman. He only cared about himself. And it was only because of that woman's persistence that he finally caved in. And what's Jesus doing here? He's arguing from the lesser to the greater. 
He's saying if this wicked, unjust, corrupt judge would finally give in, giving that woman what she desired because of her persistent coming, he's saying, how much more your heavenly father that cares about you, that loves you. That's what he's saying. We need to see that's where we got to get back to this adoption. We are truly his sons and daughters. He cares about us. You have to be grounded in that. And then you can know when I'm going before him, and this situation doesn't seem to be changing like I'd like it to, my father, and I'm his child, he's not going to leave me hanging. He's not. He isn't reluctant. He's not reluctant like that judge at all. Listen to what Gordon Lindsay said about this parable. He said, the Lord apparently selected such a case to give cheer and encouragement to those who are overwhelmed by distress and misfortune that they might know that their prayers like those of Cornelius are had in remembrance before God. You know, that's talking about Cornelius. He prayed for whatever for God to bring salvation. And finally, the angel, God worked that all out like all at once. However long Cornelius had been praying and God sent that angel to Peter and brought Peter to his house, orchestrated everything that they might know that their prayers like those of Cornelius are had in remembrance before God. And listen, and though the answer does not yet appear, if they continue in prayer, never feigning, the answer is bound to come. It is bound to come. Jesus said, hear what the unjust judge said. And what did the unjust judge say? He said, though I am unjust, he admitted, I'm, I'm a hard guy, right? I'll give this woman what she wants and needs because of her persistence, her continual coming. And that is the key to the parable. So the judge acts like he's God, doesn't he? He can do what he wants. And he's saying, if this hardened sinner will give in to this woman, please, how much more will your heavenly father give justice, healing, deliverance, answers in prayers to his own children whom he loves and are looking to him. They're trusting him. Verse seven, Jesus said, and shall not. Look what the unjust judge did. He goes, and shall not God? That guy did it. Shall not God, your father, avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? He's saying, if that unjust judge will finally be moved, how much more God will be moved? To help his elect, his own elect, he says. What's that mean? Elect are his chosen one from all eternity. You that he's chosen out from the world. His chosen one, his adopted children, his sons and daughters, as we've talked about, that cry out to him day and night. Abba, Father. What would you do if your child was in distress? You'd help him as soon as you could. And that's what it says. He'll avenge them speedily. And so what we have to understand, God loves to hear our cries. Not he loves to see us in trouble, in affliction. But he loves to hear our cries for help. And he promises to deliver us. If you would turn back to Psalm 55, please. David was constantly in trouble, constantly going through affliction, constantly needing God's help. And look what he says, Psalm 55, verse 16. He says, as for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. And here's where day and night, he says, evening 
and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud. And then what does it say? He shall hear my voice. Verse 18, he has delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many with me. He says, I cry aloud day and night to the Lord. He was in trouble, in distress, and he says, he heard my voice, verse 17. That's what God will do. So we're not making him mad because we're trusting him for something and reminding him of it, are we? We're not at all. And especially if we're in a really hard time, that's what he wants us to do. Look in another, used to be familiar verse, we haven't looked at it in a while. Look over to Isaiah 62, verses 4 to 7. And God had promised to restore Jerusalem to Israel. And when that happens, here's what he says will happen. Isaiah 62, verse 4, it says, For thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, because they were. And neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate, but thou shalt be called Hephzibah and the land Beulah. For the Lord delights in you, and the land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. Verse 6, I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. You shall make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. Verse 7, and give him no rest. Talking about the Lord, give him no rest until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. He's saying, I've got watchmen on the wall that are reminding me of these promises. And he's saying, hey, give him no rest until he does what he said he will do. That doesn't make God mad. And that's what we can do. Go before him continually. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. So we just have to be doggedly persistent in our intercession sometimes and remind God, this is what you've promised, Lord. This is what I'm believing you for. And listen, it's not a lack of faith. It is not a lack of faith to do that, to keep continually asking in unbelief. Well, yeah, obviously. But to remind the Lord and to be interceding for something that you're in a serious spot about? No. Or anything for that matter. If you would turn back to Luke 18, he gives an example right in Luke 18. It demonstrates exactly what he's talking about here. Luke 18, verses 35 to 42. And it came to pass that as he, Jesus, was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging, and hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him, well, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. And they which went before rebuked him, just hold your peace. But did he stop? No, he didn't stop. Are we saying this guy had no faith? But it said he cried so much the more, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And that got Jesus' attention. And he stood, verse 40, commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight, because you had faith. Thy faith has healed thee. Wow. And I think that's the kind of faith, that's the kind of praying, that's the kind of persistence that we are going to need in these end times. We will. That much we need to hear today, right? Because iniquity and injustice is going to abound 
more and more. And it's going to seem like the unjust are getting their way. And we are going to have to trust the Lord to avenge us speedily. So this whole parable that we read here, these first eight verses in chapter 18 of Luke, the context of it is Luke 17, which is talking about the coming of the Lord. And in the coming of the Lord, things are going to get worse and worse. Is this coming draw near? We know that from what he said. It's going to be like birth pains. This world is going to get harder and harder and harder. More trouble. It's going to be coming this way. Believe me. Things that we've never dreamed of. And it says because, he said, because iniquity will abound, the love of many will wax cold. And so the temptation is going to be to do what he said not to do, to grow faint, to be discouraged, to quit praying. And that's where now we're in training. We need to start seeking the Lord, seeking his face, learning to walk with him. So when those days come, we've already been doing that. We're not trying to get things right at the last minute. Now is the time. Today is the day to start if we haven't been doing that. Right? Because it's going to get worse. We must pray and not lose heart. God's preparing us. And so people are going through things in here now, today. That it seems like God is the unjust judge. He's not unconcerned and nothing's happening and you keep coming. But listen, here's something else. John Calvin said this. I thought this was really good. He says, if at any time God winks at the injuries done to us longer than we would wish, let us know that this is done with a fatherly intention to train us to patience. The promise which he makes that God will speedily avenge them must be seen in light of his sovereign providence. For our hasty tempers and carnal apprehensions lead us to conclude that he does not come quickly enough to grant relief. That's what we think. I mean, what are you doing, Lord? Leaving me here suffering. Don't you see? You aren't coming quick enough. He's saying that's our carnal apprehensions. But look what he goes on to say. If we could penetrate into his design, we would learn that his assistance is always ready and reasonable. As the case demands, and it is not delayed for a single moment, but comes at the exact moment time. And how many times have you been and I've been in trials to where you think, I don't think I can handle any more of this, but you can. And you get through that and you think, man, God's timing was perfect. It wasn't my timing, but it was exactly in hindsight what I needed. We just don't think that when we're going through something, but that's the way God works. And listen to what he says in Habakkuk 2.3. If you don't like Calvin, listen to Habakkuk. It's the Bible. Listen, it's a little shorter version. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. So there's an appointed time for your deliverance and my deliverance, right? The vision is yet appointed for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and shall not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. It'll come. (laughs) If we're faithful to hold on, it will come. So what is it that you're praying for today that seems to be delayed or God's unconcerned? Maybe it's just your relationship with him. So we're talking about people are praying now for God to send revival. I'm all for that. We need to pray for that. But I'll tell you what that's going to involve is getting before the Lord, letting him do a work in each one of us individually. And as a church, we've got to get our lives cleaned up. 
We have to become devoted to prayer. There is no revival on this earth has ever come without people being devoted to prayer, which is what we're talking about today. But you do that, God sovereignly sends revival. You don't demand it to come. But when we seek Him for it, He will bring it, I believe. If people are sincere, honest with themselves, dealing with sin and seeking the Lord, it will come. And what does he say? We've been quoting this. I'll keep quoting it. He says, draw nigh to God from our side, and God promises if we do that, he will draw nigh to us. If we take that step, he's not going to step back. He's going to step toward us. Amen. Draw nigh to God. It says he will draw nigh to you. Or maybe you're believing for a son or daughter or a family member that is lost and just seems to keep getting more lost. All of us have people like that in our families, right? I think just about everybody does. Well, George Mueller wrote this. He was a man that knew about prayer and faith, and he wrote this. He says, the great point is never to give up until the answer comes. I have been praying for 63 years and eight. Now, you've got to live as long as him to be able to have a testimony like this. He lived in his 90s. But he said, I've been praying for 63 years and eight months for one man's conversion. He is not saved yet, but he will be. Mueller writes, how can it be otherwise? I am praying. And that man saw answers to prayer. And guess what happened? He died before that prayer seemingly was answered. But at his funeral, the man attending that funeral there or shortly thereafter repented and got saved. This man he'd been praying for 63 years, kind of like Elisha. But that's what happened. God will honor our faith and our prayers. Amen. My dad was just here, and he really liked everybody. I pray for my dad every single day. And my dad, I mean, there's really nothing else I could say to him. It's got to be God moving on him. But God's dealing with him. He tells me, you know, he's reading mere Christianity now. It's a long story how he got that book. I'm like, huh, it ain't going to come from me. I don't care. I just want to see my dad get saved. Amen. Amen. But it will happen. I don't have 63 years to pray for him either right now because he's 83. <laughs> so look at the end here, looking at Luke 18, 8. And he says, I tell you, Jesus says, I tell you, he, God will avenge them speedily. He says, nevertheless, he asked this question, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on earth? And guess what? He doesn't answer that question. You know why he doesn't answer that question? Because he wants all of us to answer it for ourselves. We've got to look in our own hearts. Do we have that persistent faith of the widow? And I'm saying we need to look at our hearts because that's the kind of faith that will endure, like I've said, these end times. The kind of faith that doesn't give up. Persistent in prayer. Let me say in conclusion, to sum up what I've said, where does that kind of faith, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? Where does that kind of faith come from? And we've talked about it. It comes, I believe, first from a true knowledge of our adoption into God's family, knowing that we're sons of God, that we can cry out, Abba, Father, in our prayers, that he'll hear us just like he heard his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, it, that kind of faith is going to come from being devoted to prayer as a way of life. Not just when we're in trouble, not just when we're getting ready to eat our meal, but bringing everything in our life to our Heavenly Father. And also, like I've talked about, understanding that God created us to have a relationship with Him, 
to speak with him, to commune with him, to speak with him through prayer and to understand that we're not bothering him by our persistence. We're not bothering him. He's interested in us. He wants us to be talking to him. And so he can talk back to us. That's what he wants. So because of all of those things, we need and should be and want to be persistent in prayer. An obligation to keep praying and not to lose heart. And understand that, hey, we are not wasting our time when we're interceding on the behalf of our brothers and sisters or ourselves or our family member. That, Like I said, it's coming up as a memorial before the Lord. How long, O Lord? And he says, it'll happen. They cried, how long, O Lord, till you avenge us? Oh, it'll happen. Our prayers are not being wasted because God is not an unjust judge, but a gracious Father. Amen. We have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you'll not only today, but continually throughout this week at all times, Lord, impress upon our hearts that we need to be devoted to you in prayer and to know that as your adopted children, as your true sons and daughters, Lord, that you delight to hear our prayer. And as we persist in the things that we need to persist in, Lord, to seek your face, to see you manifest and answer, that you will avenge us speedily. You're not reluctant. We're not bothering you. And we thank you, Lord, that as our Heavenly Father, I just ask you to watch over all of us this week. Bless our study time. Bless our prayer time. Speak to all of us individually. Encourage us, Lord, to press in and pray for a revival, for an outpouring of your Spirit, Lord, that we can have the times of refreshing again in our church and that it will spill out into our community and into other people that we meet that we can share your salvation with the lost. Make that our prayer here in our church today, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.